The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Family life has changed in immensely over the the past century. I mean, the way families were 100 years ago, uh, nothing like what family is today. And so we we tend to think of of our relationship in terms of its quality. Back then, uh, marriages and relationships were more thought of in terms of the role that you had. So if you were the husband, you had a certain role to play, and a wife had her role, and if you played your role then that was a good relationship. So to illustrate how these have changed, we're going to read for you uh, some advice that was given. uh, And it was first published in 1913. So these are do's and don'ts for husbands and wives. Okay, wives, if you were married in 1913, 101 years ago, this is what was written. Wives... Don't be discontented and think your husband is not manly because he happens to be short and thin and not very strong. Manliness is not purely a physical quality. And don't let your husband feel that you are a dear little woman, but no good intellectually. If you find yourself getting stale, wake up your brain. And... (laughs) Women, don't be afraid of cold meat. A few cookery lessons or even a good cookery book with the use of a little intelligence will make you mistress of delicious ways of serving up leftovers. Yuck. (laughs) It's still yours. Oh, sorry. Here I am looking at you (laughs) because it said husbands. I'm thinking, you need to do that part. (laughs) Here are the don'ts for husbands. All right, husbands, don't refuse to play tennis, croquet, or billiards with your wife because it is not a worthwhile game to play with women. Even if she plays badly, show her how to improve. Men, don't sharpen pencils all over the house. It does not improve either the carpets or the servants' tempers to find pencil sharpenings all over the floors. And husbands, don't talk down to your wife. She has as much intelligence as your colleague at the office. She just lacks opportunity. And husband, talk to her and explain when necessary of anything you talk of to a man, and you will be surprised to find how she expands. Now, we're going to have you turn to page 85 in your books, and please follow the instructions for exercise one relating to parents. You'll have around 10 minutes. You'll see here on this exercise that this is actually planned for you to do on your own at home but uh, we did this and we liked it so much we thought we would have you uh, take a stab at it here tonight so go ahead and get started okay um, 
Sorry if you didn't have enough time to finish that. Hopefully you can come back to it later if you need to. I do love red velvet cake, though. <clears throat> That's one of my favorites. This, um, this topic's going to produce different reactions in different people. Uh, for some of you, I think it'll develop a sense of gratitude in your heart and thankfulness for the family that you come from and the parents that raised you and just a really nice, warm, great feeling about how you were raised. And others, not so much. Um, it's going to dig up or reveal, perhaps, some real lapses and uh, areas where you did not get what you needed as a child, and then that developed into other issues, and that carried on into adulthood. And so that can uh, bring up a lot of conflict um, in your life. So let's do a quick overview of what a healthy family development looks like, just so we have a basis the, the work that goes through it, we're not going to go through that in detail because we looked it over and thought all of that was pretty basic. So we're going to mention um, the development process and then come o- go over a few things that we felt were really critical to us overcoming some of these issues in our relationship. Um, for Joy and I, this was probably the major thing that was affecting our relationship. My issues with my father and her issues with uh, her mother and her sister. So um, dealing with those things really paved the way for us to deal with all the other somewhat smaller issues in our relationship and and gave us uh, what we needed to, to build a healthy relationship. So the four stages of growing up are, number one, early years, Number two, teenage years. Number three, coming of age, leaving home, um, going to college or getting your first job. And then number four, getting, getting married. And you change in every stage. So hopefully you develop, you learned all that you needed to learn, and then you moved on to the next phase. Now, that isn't probably the case for most people. At some point in one of those phases, something happened. And maybe you wrote it on that history right there that you just did of your life. You saw those blocks of 10, you know, leading up to, uh, you know, throughout your life. And, and so maybe something happened along the way there that caused a problem. The development didn't take place. But knowing this really isn't going to help your marriage one way or the other, okay? So you didn't know this, big deal. Now you know it, big deal, Okay. Just knowing that there's four development stages really doesn't make that big of a difference. But understanding the fact that the relationship has changed and will change, that can cause a lot of problems if you're not aware of it and prepared for it. So dysfunction is dysfunction, right? I mean, if there's dysfunction in your family... There's nothing you can do about that when you're 10 years old. That's just the way your family was, and it's an unfortunate case of life. And so um, probably every single one of us here has had some level of dysfunction in your family. And so you have to learn how to deal with that because now we're adults. We're adults, and we can blame our parents and our family and our upbringing all day long, but at this point now, 
it's, it doesn't matter. It's time to move on. It's your problem now, so to speak. You know, I mean, you can hate your parents, but um, uh, that isn't going to help you at all. It's not productive. And so what's better is to deal with that. So what you have to do is you have to learn, which is something that we had to learn was quite painful and difficult, is to learn how to set boundaries in your relationship with your extended family members. And uh, one thing that has guided us over the years, and it comes out of the scriptures, is Jesus, who said that, that you need to be at peace with all men as it has to do with you. And so that means that, you know, you want to have peaceful relationships with your family members, but you can only do so much from your side of the fence. And so... Uh, you can't control them. You can't change them. You can't make them be what you want them to be. You can't turn your mother-in-law into a good mother-in-law. You know, I mean, she's going to be what she's going to be. So what you have to do then is put up boundaries. And boundary is essentially a wall. It's a barrier. It's a barrier that says, uh, for us and, and some of our family members, the barrier is so high it's that we won't even talk to you. We won't see you. We won't go to your house. We won't even be around you. Because if we were to be, it would be so incredibly toxic for our relationship. We just can't do it. And so we're sorry, but we've got to put up a boundary around you because when we're around you, because of your dysfunction and because of your toxicity, although you are a member of our family, but you're causing such intense damage to our relationship we have to put up a boundary around you. And if you don't want to, you want to learn how to do that, and we, we studied a book called Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. They also followed that up with uh, Boundaries for Marriage, I think also Boundaries for Teenagers, and you know a few others. And so that's a great resource for you to look that up. If that's, a, if that's difficult for you to say to your sister, you can no longer come over for Christmas or... To say to your, you know, your parents, uh, you can no longer tell us, you know, what to do or speak into our relationship or I'm no longer going to give you information about how we're doing or, you know, whatever boundary it is that you need to put up to protect your relationship, that resource will tell you how to do it in, in a lot of detail. And uh, we kind of lived in that book for a while um, and spent a number of years establishing these boundaries. And I'll tell you, the result was amazing. It was amazing how we went from chaos, horrible Christmas event where, I mean, it's just everything was thrown except the turkey and a few knives and, and just ruined and horrible to the most wonderful, intimate, fantastic family gatherings. And so, um, it's just an incredible, important resource and important skill to learn. Um, our relationship with our parents has to change. And you've got to learn that. You've got to, you've got to learn to relate to your parents now as a couple. And it's more, it's, it's more like a friendship than it is a son or a daughter now. And, and you have to say that, that that mutual friendship and support has to be like that from parent to child it has to change because if you don't, then that's going to destroy your relationship. Your mom is your mom, 
but you relate to her now as a friend, not as your mom. And so uh, you don't tell her the things you told her before. You don't do the things you did with her before. It changes. It's got to change. And if it, ha- if it doesn't, or if it hasn't, then what you've got there is a case of, a, of an, a, an adult living like a child and a, you know, a, a grown man who's living like a boy when he's with his mommy. So one, one other thing that we found was so helpful to us as recent as last night is um, we, we take the initiative and we talk about it. We talk about it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Talk about these situations with extended family members Take the initiative and uh, communicate up front far in advance. We've already planned Christmas for this year, so we're not going to get sideswiped or blinded or surprised by a family member who shows up who wasn't invited or something like that. So um, communicate boundaries. Now, John and I have learned that some dysfunctional family members want to ensnare you into conflict, and we call that the merry-go-round trap. And basically what that is, is you will have, and there's a couple different examples that I'll provide, but say you're in a family situation and you have a sibling that comes to you and just rants and rants and rants about perhaps either a parent or another sibling or somebody else in the family, and they want you to get on their bandwagon and say, oh, you're right, yes, you're right, oh, you poor thing. We call that the merry-go-round because what they're looking is for you to get on and to feed their feelings. And that can be really a toxic, toxic relationship. And another way that this can happen is if you have a family member and they act in a certain way and you know how they act and you know it's a very toxic, um, emotional way that they act, if you choose to be around them and partake in that, that is getting on their merry-go-round. That is feeding into it. And so what I've had to do is I've had to say with some family members, I'm not getting on your merry-go-round. I will see you twice a year, not at my house. I will see you in a public setting where it's a controlled environment for a set period of time. And that way I can control it and determine it and I don't have to be worried about toxicity. So it's really important, and again, if you read um, Cloud and Townsend's book, they'll go into great detail on that, but getting on emotional merry-go-rounds with family members is really, really dangerous. It will poison you, and it becomes a very codependent relationship with that family member that's really unhealthy. And it will just get out of control. And when you get off the merry-go-round, that other family member, they don't like it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They are so mad. And, and in their brain, they're thinking, get back on. Pedal. Come on. Push that thing. Push that thing. And when you say no, I'm not going to partake. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to feed into what you have to say. If you have an issue with somebody... I need you to go talk to that person. Because a toxic person, when they share something, 
It's usually spewed with great venom and emotion. And usually they should talk to somebody who is outside of the family or to a counselor. And so they will not be happy. And I have a particular family member when other family members said, nope, we're not going to get on the merry-go-round. The first thing was you're not going to see our kids. You're not going to see your family member kids. You're not going to see them. And they withheld the kids for nine months. So, but the other people held their ground. And that's what you need to do. And even though it's not easy. Alrighty, we'd like you to turn to page 78. And we want you to follow the instructions for exercise one at the bottom of the page. We will give you about four minutes. You may begin. Okay, let's look at some ways that we can have the best possible relationship that we can with our parents, step-parents, in-laws, if they're still alive, uh, extended family members, sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles. If you're experiencing difficulty in this, in, in your relationship with your extended family members, you are not alone. All right, it's not just you. You're in great company here tonight. A recent survey by an organization called Relate showed that conflict within in-laws is the second biggest cause of arguments between couples. That's a huge number, okay? That's a lot of people. Second biggest cause. Uh, Here's a story about a guy who was so fed up with his mother-in-law that he decided to put her up for auction on eBay. (laughs) His name is Steve Owen. He's 42 years old. And he said, I just hope someone will take her off my hands. So he invited bids starting at $1 and posted the ad on the site after his mother-in-law bought a house around the corner from their home. And he said on the ad, uh, she comes over to my house every day trying to change me and make me more tidy. And so his mother-in-law responded with her own post saying, he's lazy and won't stop ne- I won't stop nagging him until he changes his life. That's my job. Wow. Uh, and so she, she went on in her, and she said, uh, but he could have at least made the starting bid $100. So some families and in-laws and extended family members can suffocate a marriage, okay? And others can be wonderful and give all kinds of support and help. So how can we build relationships with our families that work for our marriage rather than against our marriage? Now we want to preface what we say by telling you that we're no that we're under no illusion about these family relationships. Just as our marriage needs work, so too do these relationships. We want to look at three principles for working at these relationships which will apply to whatever family members that we're relating to. Okay, the first one. First, we must seek to resolve any conflict. Just as in marriage, unsolved and unresolved hurt and anger lead to emotional volcanic eruptions, so it is with our wider family. A relationship could have become blocked while we were growing up or since we've gotten married. Whichever it is, we can use the same process that we looked at in the last session for resolving those issues. We need to identify the issues, working out what the main problem is, being open and talking about it with our husband or wife, 
maybe for the first time, will help us to become clear about the source of our conflict. When there's been hurt on either side, the other two parts of the process, saying sorry and forgiving, make healing possible. We have to do our part. It's so powerful when we take the initiative and say sorry where that's appropriate. That's hard, especially with family, as our pride can so easily get in the way. When we've been hurt, we must choose to forgive. We'll be looking later in this session at how we might do that without necessarily talking to the person who's hurt us. Only we ourselves will know if we're holding on to anger and resentment. And a good way to test yourself if you have any anger or resentment in your heart, I call it the hair standing up on the back of my neck test. And that means when somebody's name is mentioned or I see that person or I'm in a conversation with that person and the hair on the back of my neck stands up, then I know I've got an issue in my heart. And that is a clue to me that there's something that I need to deal with, that I have unresolved things. So keeping your heart clear of unresolved hurt and anger is important, not only for our relationship with our parents or in-laws, but if we have children, it will also be important for their relationship with their grandparents. Second way that you can build uh, relationships with extended family members is to take consideration of their needs. It's helpful to put yourself in their shoes, but that can be difficult because you're not at the same place in life that they're at. And so they're at a different place in life. It's hard to imagine how things would be on their end, but we have to try and put ourselves in their shoes. It's easy to see their faults, but it's not so easy to be able to see what's good about them or the positive things. You may have found that when you were doing that at that last exercise. And so Joy and I have found that it's far more better if we take the initiative with our extended family members, we reach out to them and, and try and uh, understand their needs and their life and be a blessing to them. And depending on your family health, uh, this can be incredibly difficult. If your family has got a lot of different issues and dysfunctions, then, of course, that's going to be getting in the way, and that'll be difficult. But Jesus taught us in the scriptures that we can have peace, again, have peace as it has to do with us. So at sometimes at the end of the day, you just have to say, I'm going to be at peace with my end, regardless of how they respond. So remember... You are no longer responsible for your parents, right? Your parents are on their own. You're on your own. But as they get older, they're going to have a greater and greater and greater dependency upon you and need some more things from you as they get older and as they approach that season where it's the end of their life, they'll need support from you. So all the more reason why... It's important those relationships are as peaceful as they possibly can be. Because if they're not, and when they get into their older years, and they need greater support from you, whoa, that's going to be a very, very stressful time for you if you have a tremendous amount of issues in your heart, and you haven't dealt with them, and haven't set up those boundaries. 
it'll be quite painful. All right, thirdly, as a couple, we need to make our own decisions. Many parents have lots of good advice to offer in all sorts of areas. If we possibly can, we need to appreciate it and listen to them. And on the other hand, it's important to remember that any of us can easily find ourselves supporting our parents' views against those of our husband or wife. So that means side with your spouse always. For the sake of your marriage, you must present a united front. We must stand up for one another. And this is what's really important. This is something that John and I um, made a, a commitment to do, that if he and I have issues together, we work them out together. I don't call my mother and say, Oh, my gosh, Mom, you wouldn't believe what John did, and he did this and this and this and this and this. I never, ever do that because I know that my issues need to be dealt with directly with John, and we solve it together. Because what that does, it puts an unreasonable burden on my parents, and they don't know what to do. They don't have a clue. And so we learned that early on not to do that. If we do have an issue like we did years and years ago that we needed help, we went to a counselor. We did not go to our parents. You know, even if your parents are right, so they say something about your spouse, and it's true. And you can be tempted to chime in and agree with that. But you should not. You should hold that to yourself and say, I, I don't comment, or let's talk about something else. Or you can disagree with this. Disagree with your parents for the very fact they're even engaging in that kind of behavior. They have no right to, to sit and rebuke your spouse in front of you. Okay, if they have an issue with your spouse, they should go to your spouse one-on-one privately and deal with whatever issue they have. They shouldn't be throwing it out in the middle of the relationship and then forcing you to have to either take a side. It's not fair to you. So you can just simply turn to your parents and say, hey, mom, dad, it's not fair for me to have to be here to defend this, our relationship. So I'd appreciate it if you didn't bring that up anymore, you know, or something like that. But never jump in and agree with that. It totally defeats your spouse. Even if it's true, it, it, it's, it's a betrayal. So supporting one another includes not giving away the ups and downs of your relationship. Really, really important. Now, standing up for each other like this gives a great sense of emotional closeness and prevents parents or in-laws or other family members from driving a wedge between you as husband and wife. We'd like you to turn to page 79 in your workbooks and follow the instructions for exercise two. Okay, sorry to interrupt again. We're going to take this a little bit deeper now. And... Um, Perhaps in your discussion so far or in something that we've said tonight, you've become aware of something that has happened or, or something that didn't get done or didn't happen in your childhood that may be affecting your relationship. And so um, what we're trying to prevent tonight is something that came up or that happened in your childhood 
that is now appearing again and affecting your relationship. So sometimes we think, well, that, that happened so many years ago and that's past, that's over. But it was never really dealt with and so now it's become a factor in your relationship. And just to chime in there, time does not heal all wounds. Yep, it doesn't. For our relationship in our marriage, it for me, it was my relationship with my dad. And I won't go into all the details about my father, and but I will say, you know, he has uh, made incredible improvements over the last number of years. And I wouldn't say our relationship is great. Um, it is um, reasonable. It's, you know, it's cordial. Um, and, and I think the good, the good news is there's no hate there between he and I. And I can sit down and have a conversation with him and not feel any bad or negative feelings. It might feel some a little bit after that, but it's short and I can move on from it. But I had this, this incredible, when I got married, incredible hatred for my father. And um, what was happening was, Joy would say things to me in the course of our relationship, but it was either the tone of voice that she used or the way in which she said it or the way she looked at me or you know any number of small little factors. And what was happening was my filter and inside my heart, I, I was hearing my father. And so I would unleash hell on her and this just incredible explosion of anger and rage because not because of what she had done or what she had said but because of what my father had done and what my father had said and when i was a kid i had to just take it i mean my my father abused us and so you just had to take it when you're a kid but now that i'm an adult see i don't have to take it anymore and i'm not going to take it and so if you come at me i'm going to put you down and that's exactly what I did to Joy. And so until I realized that and became, a, you know, was revealed to me, this is what you're doing, and then I could deal with that and deal with my father and all the disappointment and the hurt there and really experience a healing. And all of my anger towards Joy just went away. It just disappeared. It dissipated. And now we could actually have a conversation and uh, it was quite lovely and uh, no issues and problems because I was able to deal with that. So admitting this to yourself, so very important. There's something about this that we, we want to believe that mom and dad were great and that they loved us. But you know what? My dad didn't know how to love me. He had no idea. And so he didn't. And he raised me that way. And... You know, so I had to be honest with myself and say, hey, this is why I'm so angry and this is why I, I'm, I'm having problems in my marriage. It takes a lot of courage to admit that. So we want you to, to, to try and think tonight objectively, recognizing the strengths and the weaknesses of how you were raised. I'm going to tell you, one positive thing I got from my parents uh, my father was that we have a mean recipe for uh, caramel popcorn. I mean, it is the best around. Okay, that's that's about all we got from it. But still, 
Hey, that's something positive, right? And you know how to do the dishes. I know how to do the dishes. My father could do the dishes. So um, we want to be objective and think about our parents and our relationship with them. But um, Mark Twain said this, great quote. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. So, it's, it's so true. An adult relationship, which is what we are, requires us to accept our parents or our step-parents or our in-laws as they are rather than how we would like them to be. And of course, nobody had a perfect childhood. But now that you're an adult, it is your stuff. And it's your responsibility to deal with your own hurt. So we want to encourage you to uh, uh, take this next exercise to heart. It's page 81 in your workbook. workbook. It follows over three pages. And um, remember, this exercise uses the word communication in three different ways. And so remember this about communication. Communication is not using words or sign language or body language or anything like that. Communication is this. A connection through language, sign language, body, all that, right? So it's a connection. So when they talk about communication, sure, you might have yelled and screamed at each other, but you didn't connect, okay? So that wasn't communication. So when you're thinking about how you are with your family members or your history, your immediate family, I want you to keep that definition in mind. It says use coins, and uh, that just doesn't, that's, that's not helpful. So just go ahead and take your pen and draw the circles, okay? You can skip the whole coin part of it. Uh, it's more effective to just draw it in, so go ahead. Okay, I'm going to bring you back. Now, we recognize that the exercise you've just done is much harder and more complicated for some people than for others. And that's why we want to go on now to look at how healing childhood pain is possible. This last part of our session is particularly for those who experienced pain and difficulties during their upbringing. And I would say that this is probably about 90% of people. So we don't want to drag these issues up for their own sake, but because if we've seen, if these issues are buried, unresolved hurt and anger from childhood, it will guaranteed 100% affect your marriage. So we want to mention four steps for addressing and resolving pain from childhood, whether that's for yourself or your partner or for both of you. These steps apply. Number one, the first step is to recognize unmet needs where our parents have failed us. You have to be able to recognize and say, my parents did not love me in the way that I needed to be loved. That's a fact for many people. And sometimes we give the excuse, oh, they loved me, but, oh, they loved me, but. The reality is, is no, they did not love you. 
and that's a hard pill to swallow. They may be tried to, but that is not love. So you have to be able to recognize that and acknowledge that and deal with that. It may be there was a lack of affection from your parents, or perhaps they failed to make time for us and didn't give us enough encouragement or comfort. Perhaps they always criticized you, always put you down. Even if a parent or surrogate parent was abusive towards us, we may well have made assumptions as children that maybe they were right to treat us that way. That's how kids think. Kids think, well, I must have deserved that. If you do start to recognize buried pain, don't be surprised if strong feelings of resentment and anger start to surface. And when I was going through this process, because I had a lot of unresolved pain and hurt from my childhood, that when I was walking through this, there were some times when I would cry so hard and I would heave so hard when a painful memory came up that there were two specific times where I remember that I literally felt like I was throwing up a huge hurt, like it was coming out of me. And it was a very physical response. But um, don't be surprised if you experience tremendous um, rush of emotions. The second step is to grieve with each other. Marriage can either make the sadness we feel from our past worse or your marriage can help heal the pain from your past. Recognizing unmet needs from our childhood is a sort of bereavement. When someone is bereaved, they must be allowed to talk. Talking about what is lost brings healing. And there comes a point where you have to acknowledge and be willing to say, I wasn't loved like I was supposed to be. I wasn't provided um, emotionally, the support that I needed. I wasn't given the encouragement. I wasn't, and recognizing that and then grieving over that because that is a huge loss. That created a major vacuum and deficit in your life. But God can heal that, but He can only do that if we acknowledge it, bring it out into the open, work it through with your spouse. And then the healing can come. Now, there are other emotions that go with bereavement, such as denial, guilt, fear, or anger. Healing is a process with which we can help our husband or wife. We can do this together. It was really important for Joy and I to uh, support each other through the process. When she was dealing with something that she was grieving over from her childhood, my role was not to belittle that or make light of it or make fun of it or or think, well, gee, I never had that problem with my family, and or say stupid things like just get over it or what's wrong with you. They need a ton of encouragement and support through this process. Think of it like a death. That's a great illustration, and it's a grieving. So maybe you didn't go through any of that, but still it's really important that you provide the support and the encouragement they need. It, the Bible talks about that in Romans 12. It's a great phrase. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I I guess you could even say, uh, because you go through different stages of this, you know, um, get angry when they're angry, cry when they cry, you know, support them emotionally as they they process uh, the hurt that they've gone through. 
and if your partner has missed out on affection, affirmation as a child, um, we need to especially need to be attentive to these needs. Otherwise, we're going to reinforce those feelings all over again. So lack of these things from us can make the situation worse. And on the other side of that, it's wonderful to receive comfort and support from your partner when they're grieving over uh, a lost childhood. So second step was to grieve with your husband and wife. Third step is to forgive. To begin the forgiveness and healing process, it's essential, critical to healing, is that we forgive. We need to deal with the anger and the hurt from our past. Forgiveness involves giving up both the desire to get revenge and often unrealistic expectations that our parents are going to now all of a sudden uh, give us what we need. They may continue on in their dysfunction and in their hurting you, and uh, that's nothing that you can do about. You can't change them. So as we said earlier, forgiveness is an, is an act of your will. It's not something that you feel and you're emotionally drawn to forgive. You choose to forgive because you know this. If you don't, it's going to ruin your marriage. So you're protecting this relationship by being willing to forgive your family members. It's just that simple. Now, it isn't always appropriate and it's not always possible to express those feelings of uh, forgiveness or sorrow to the person who did it. Maybe they've died or, or maybe they're in a place where it's just not going to be productive to go and talk to them and tell them how they ruined your life through how they raised you. Um, and so we don't necessarily advocate that you go and do that and just bombshell your parents. Um, and so you, you don't have to. There are a lot of things you can do. One good suggestion is, and which is, we did this, very helpful, is write a letter to them. Dear Dad. And write a letter and tell your dad exactly how you felt, what happened, what it did to you, and that you forgive him. And then rather than mail that letter to him or show it to him or give it to him, burn it. Burn the letter as just a way of saying, it's gone, I forgive you, I'm moving on from that. It's just a great little tool, it's a symbol of your forgiveness. The fourth step, and this one comes from a a purely Christian point of view, which for Joy and I is a major part of our life. Look to God and move on. Nothing is beyond God's power to heal and restore. And that's been a big part of our prayer through our process was, Lord, heal my heart and heal this from my childhood. I can never go back and get it back but you can heal me so that I can move forward from this point and really ask God in prayer to heal you. Ask God to become the parent you never had, to fill that void because God can become a loving parent for you like the parent you never had. He can become the father you never had and comfort you and help you. And so... um, We may have uncovered a lot of stuff tonight, hopefully not, but if we have, and it's been difficult for you to process it through this session, we would encourage you to talk about it some more this week. Find some time together and talk about it as a couple and provide support and encouragement for each other as you walk through the process of 
healing and forgiveness over past hurts. I want to close this session tonight with a final prayer, and particularly for those whose marriages have been affected by childhood hurt. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for the truth of your word that was shared tonight. And Lord, I pray for those who have walked through tremendous hurt and pain in their childhoods. And Father, as those issues came to light tonight, I ask that by your spirit, you would help these couples to walk through the healing process with each other, that you would give each other grace and wisdom, that you would give the spouses the right words to say. And Father, I pray that these hurts which have kept so many of these people in bondage and in chains, Lord, and have affected their marriages, that, Lord, those chains would be broken tonight and this week as they walk through the process of acknowledging their hurt and receiving forgiveness. Lord, bless these dear people tonight, and we look forward to next week. In Jesus' name, amen. And just a reminder, you may take the flowers if you would like, leave the vases. And next week, the topic is good sex. Alrighty. That'll be fun. Looking forward to that one. Have a good one. See you next week.